all of us have moments when things happen to us that are a little embarrassing. And, and I may have told you this before, and I think as I was sitting there ready to come up, I think, I think I said this before, but not everybody was here, so I'll, I'll share it again. But one of the moments that I had that was a little bit embarrassing is actually recorded in a book called Tales from Kentucky Funeral Homes. Now, if you want a good book to read, you, you ought to read the great stories of Things that happen in funerals, things that uh, take place, it's funny. Funerals are very serious, but there is a, a lighter side to it when you can back off and look at some things. But on one occasion, I was asked to do a funeral, and it was a funeral that was at dusk. Usually, you don't have those because uh, the people need to be uh, in the ground and buried, and all that needs daylight. And But it was at dusk, and it was getting dark, and everybody had left except for myself and uh, the funeral director, We rode over in the hearse together, and he had some business to finish up with those who were digging the graves, and so I went on and sat down in the hearse, and I was waiting on him to uh, come back to the hearse, and as I was sitting there, I thought, well, I might as well go ahead and put my seatbelt on, and I reached to get my seatbelt to pull across, and uh, there's a glass partition in the back of a hearse between the people up front and the person in the back, and... I saw a reflection of my hand. I was reaching like that, but the reflection was like this. And I screamed and laid, laid down in the, the hearse right as he opened the door. And he said, what are you doing? And so I had to explain, and, and it's, it's become a story now. But it... Things like that happen, and, and I guess my um, jumpiness or jittery, jitterishness <laughs> uh, has something to do, when, when I was a child, we, had, uh, we lived in a little town of about 2,500 people, and, and we went to uh, about a mile, the school was about a mile from the house, and we just walked. Um, there weren't the concerns like there are today. And a friend of mine decided we were going to ride our bikes to school, but there was no place to put our bikes. But there was a funeral home next to the school, and the funeral director lived right there uh, next to us. And so he said, yeah, you guys can come put your bikes in my garage. That'll be fine. Well, one morning we were there early, and he took us inside. He said, hey, have you ever seen where we embalm people? And we said, no. Do you want to? Yeah. And so we went in this room, and there was this table, and, and uh, as we went in, like he had us walk ahead of him, he backed back out of the room and turned the lights out and locked us in there. <laughs> Scared us half to death. But every time I hear, and there is a tie-in, every time I hear of this story from Ezekiel chapter 37, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to there those memories come back to me because there's something really kind of creepy about what God does with Ezekiel. And I've often wondered if he felt a little bit uh, strange as this whole event was taking place. But um, in Ezekiel chapter 37, we have the story of the dry bones. In um, This clicker is not working. Thank you. Can we go one more? Okay. Well, we'll go two more. 
But let me, let me give you the, the background to um, three more. Just put it all up there. Thank you. All right. Well, that right there is your lesson. Read it real quick and go home. This never happens to Justin. I don't know why. Okay. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 37, God speaks to Ezekiel. And he takes him to a place that uh, has, well, there, first of all, before we get into that, let me just say there are times when God has tried to teach some really strange, well, the, the lessons aren't strange, but he taught them in strange ways. For instance, to describe the, the, um, the way that it made him feel when Israel was disobedient and unfaithful to him, he commanded Hosea to marry a harlot and... Um, to buy her back as she goes off back to her old profession. Imagine how difficult that would have been for Hosea to, to marry this woman and then be married for a little bit and then she just up and leaves and goes back to her old profession, profession and, um, you know, he buys her back again. And God did all that to say, that's what it feels like when you are disloyal to me. Um, there were times in the Bible when God used... Um, Naaman, uh, to dip seven times in Jordan River. Makes sense of that. Why? Um, I don't know why. It's a strange way to get cleansed of leprosy. Naaman himself thought, well, the Lord will just come and, and wave his hand or, or, uh, Elijah will just come, Elisha will just come and wave, wave his hand over and I'll be cleansed. And no, he said, go dip seven times in a river. Why seven? Why not five? Why not one? Why the Jordan? Um, there's stories in the Bible of um, the brazen serpent in the days of Moses when God had sent serpents among the people and they were biting them and they were paying a price for the disobedience. And to relent, he said, Moses, build a brazen serpent, have it wrap around a stick and put that stick up and tell people that if they will look to that, they'll be healed. That's really strange, too. I mean, why not just speak them, speak them healed? Why, why not just say, you'll be better tomorrow? Who would have known that that symbol would have been a, a prefiguring of Jesus being lifted up on the cross? They had no idea of that. But we know that now, looking back, hindsight. And then you have Ezekiel on one occasion in Ezekiel chapter 4. And, and he seems to have been asked to do some of the more strange things in his ministry but God said, I want you to lay on your side for 390 days on one side, and then I want you to lay on the other side for 40 days. Think of how difficult that is. And what he was trying to get across was, you know, the, your iniquities will be borne um, uh, by Ezekiel, and, and God would bear their iniquities. But the message, it's a strange way to teach. And, and don't you know that was... Strange to see this guy just laying there and laying there for that long. And then you have this story in Ezekiel chapter 37. God takes Ezekiel to this place and has him look, and there's a bunch of dry bones laying around. It must have been a, a formal, former uh, battlefield where people were engaged in battle and they were slain in the battle and their, their bone, they died there and their flesh was eaten by the animals or rotted away, and, and all that is left of them is just dry bones. Um, 
God said, Ezekiel, can these bones come to life? I like Ezekiel's answer because he said, well, Lord, you know, if, if it's up to you, they can. It's, it's totally what you want to do with them. And God said, Ezekiel, what I want you to do is I want you to preach to these bones. Preach the preaching that I tell you to preach. And Ezekiel did. And when he did, the bones, and this is, this is what is almost you know, sci-fi-ish, the bones, he heard a rattling, you know, the clacking of the bones, and, and they, they came back together. And, uh, you know, how far were these bones dispersed? You know, if, if my femur were way back there because an animal drug it over there, it's going to make its way back. Can you imagine the scene? Don't just read a story, but put yourself in his situation where all this stuff is moving, coming back together. And... Um, not only did the bones come together, but then the sinews, the, the ligaments, the muscles started to form over the body. I don't know if you've seen like a remake of The Invisible Man when he started to disappear, how that his skin would disappear and then it was just his skeletal or his muscular and, and then the skeletal and, and so forth. Imagine that taking place just in reverse. You know, the 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 bones come together and then the the ligaments and the muscles and the skin, and uh, but they were still dead. And so God said, preach some more to them, and they became alive. Now, the point of that whole thing was to get across a lesson, and the lesson is this. You may feel hopeless. You may feel dead. Israel at this time felt hopeless, they felt like they were buried and in their graves and nothing could ever be done for them again. But God was trying to say to them, there is hope. I can revive you. I can bring you back from the grave. I can put you together and you can become alive and live again. And so that was a message that God taught Israel, a message of hope, a message of restoration, but it was taught in a really strange way. What I'd like for us to do tonight is to look at some practical lessons that we can learn from this story. And one is this. God needs to be obeyed regardless. Quit trying to figure out and play God. Sometimes we don't know why God does what he does. We just know he did it, he commanded it, let's obey it. You know, I don't have to understand every intricacy Uh, Why the cross? Why does it take the Son of God leaving heaven, taking on human form and living a sinless life and going to the cross and shedding His blood? The the theology of that. I I don't think I have a, a full grasp of all the... Why that? Why not something else? After all, God is God. I don't understand it all but I absolutely believe it. There is no other way for man to be saved than for Jesus to have come in the flesh and to have died on the cross, shed his blood as an innocent. And it allows God to be both just and the justifier of men. Don't have any question about that at all, but figuring it all out, why it's that way, I I can't do that. Why does God say that you have to be baptized to receive the forgiveness of sins? I don't know. 
Oh, I see some, some likenesses. I, I see where it's a reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died and was buried and rose again. And, and when we die to sin, we're buried in the water and we rise again. But there are other ways to illustrate a death, burial, and resurrection other than getting in water. Why that? Again, I don't know, but I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to say I'm not going to do it until I can figure out all the whys and why you chose this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you see a long list. And and God says, Paul says in that chapter, he said, you know, there are not many mighty in this world, not many wise, not many who think they've got everything figured out, who are going to obey the gospel, who are going to come to Christ. Because to them, Jesus is foolishness. What do you mean? There was a man who died on a cross. He shed his blood. And if we wash ourselves in that blood, we're somehow forgiven of our sins. That makes no sense. He said to the Jews, that's a message. that message is a stumbling block. They can't see a Messiah who dies, who's crucified on a cross, an a instrument of torture. It's a curse. How can he be the Messiah? And to the Gentiles, it just sounds like nonsense. You've got to be kidding me. You believe you're forgiven just because somebody died on a cross and shed his blood and that you somehow spiritually, figuratively get washed in that blood and, and now you're whole? They think that's ridiculous. But again, I, I don't have to understand all the ins and outs of everything. I just have to believe what God said and do what he said. God has been clear to us and and was clear to to Ezekiel. I want you to preach to these bones. Ezekiel could have said, God, why? What what good does it? I've got my sermon prepared. When I started preaching, first started preaching, I practiced a lot publicly. Uh, Not publicly, um, out loud. I would, uh, sometimes I'd stand in front of a mirror and I would preach and watch myself. Sometimes I'd get in a car and I was driving somewhere. I would preach my sermons, uh, some of the best places, you know, to do it. Uh, One time I was supposed to go to a place in in West Virginia to preach and I realized I was in Pennsylvania. I'd passed the the exit because I was engrossed in my sermon. It was a good one. But, you know, it, it wasn't that Ezekiel needed to practice I've heard of people going out in the woods and getting on a stump, a tree stump, and, and practicing their preaching. Ezekiel doesn't say to God, why, why would I want to preach to a bunch of dead bones? He just does it because God told him to do it. If we could develop the heart of an obedient servant of God, one that responds at God's spoken word, we would do ourselves a, a great favor. Let's, let's not wait and let's not try to figure out. Let's not say, well, God, why? Have you ever asked your children to do something and because of the circumstances, it's, it's hurried, it's rushed, and you don't have the time to explain? You just want them to do it because it's important that they do it. And, and it's, not, it's not a good thing when they say, but why? Why? Some things need explaining. Some things deserve an answer. But sometimes you just need to do because it's obedience. So one of the lessons that I learned, God asked Nehemiah, or I mean Ezekiel, to do a really strange thing. Nowhere do I see in the text where he argues. He just does it, does what he said. Something else, nothing's impossible with God. 
Who can speak to dry bones and make them live again? In Philippians 4 and verse 13, and again, this passage is often, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There will be some guy that has been in a 15-round boxing match, and he looks beat to death, and his eyes are swollen nearly shut, and uh, he's the victor, I guess. Uh, He's the last one standing anyway. And then he'll say, I can do all things through Christ. You know, I knew God would help. Does that mean, does that passage mean that whatever you want to do, that God is going to let you do. I want to jump off the Empire State Building and land on my feet. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what that passage is talking about. There are limitations. There's the, the contextual element there. If God calls us to do something, He will empower us to do it. He's not just giving us a blanket. Whatever you want to do in life, man, it'll work. But whatever it is that He wants us to do in life, He will empower us to do it. We have His help. Nothing is impossible with God. God can raise dead bones if He wants to. And He can soften hearts and change people's lives. There are people that I would never have thought would have obeyed the gospel. Um, This coming... Well, I just saw Gary as I was saying. this, This coming year, a graduate of the school here will be speaking. He's, he lives in um, uh, Cerrito, West Virginia. He grew up in my hometown. I was terrified of him growing up. Meanest kid you have ever... I remember going to a fair one time and hiding at the fair so that I wouldn't run into him because he was that mean. A lady who was probably in her 60s at the time somehow met him at a grocery store. This guy was mean, and she talked to him about Jesus, and he listened. And they sat down, and they began to have studies, and before long, he and his wife obeyed the gospel. They came to the school of preaching here and graduated, I think it was around 84, 85, somewhere in that neighborhood, and he's been preaching ever since. Uh, He'll be on the lectureship this coming year. But um, I would have never thought he, of all people, would be interested in the gospel, that God could ever do anything to touch his life. Nothing is impossible with God. We need to, listen, in in about a month, we're going to have a day yet to be named, a a, a big day where we're going to invite folks here. Leverage your influence. Ask. Invite. See what will happen when you do. Um, I'm telling you, you have more influence than you might realize. And if we will all invite people and be persistent in it and follow up with it and remind people, we won't hardly be able to handle everybody. God can do. And, and through that, people can be introduced to people like my friend was introduced to. And it made all the difference in his life, all the difference in the world, in his eternity. The opportunity to be able to talk to and to meet and to greet and to share our love with people um, that we don't normally get to do, I don't know what the limits are there. I know that God can do anything. And being able to see that and hit people, we've been praying for God's providence. We've been praying for 
open doors. Well, what an opportunity. What an open door to be used as a tool to touch people's lives and to allow God to touch them through us. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible. A a third lesson is that, and, and I think this is important too, Ezekiel preached what he was commanded to preach. He didn't get up and say, just preach any old message. Just get up and start talking to these dry bones. He said, here, I, I want you to preach this message. I don't know what the message was, but God gave him the message, and the text says that he preached what God told him to preach, and they came to life. If all we do is we, we come together and we have talks, and we talk about a host of things, but if we don't get around to the Word of God... If we don't try to make application of God's word to our life and how it helps us to be more like Jesus, how it helps us to mature and to be more God-like and Christ-like, we're, we're wasting our time. We're spinning our wheels. Preach the message that God has left us. It works. The power is in the gospel, Romans 1 and verse 16. Paul told, was told in 2 Timothy, or Timothy was told by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. We need to preach the word. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Preach what God commanded. In the Old Testament, Jonah was told to go preach to Nineveh. You remember he ran. He didn't want to do it, but he finally does. He submits to the will of God. And, and God told him to preach the bidding, the, or the, the, the preaching that I bid you to preach. And he did. And the whole city repented. There's power in the Word of God. Let's preach that message because that's what's effective. And then we'll close with this final point. There's need for self-examination. Here are these Israelites of long ago and they feel hopeless. They feel dead in their graves. They feel like there's nothing they can do. Their life is over. God says, no, no, it's not. Oh, it may look bad, and you may be in your graves right now, but I can bring you back. I can raise you up. And to prove it, look what I did with Ezekiel. Ezekiel can go back and tell these people, guess what happened to me today? God took me out here, and I saw this battlefield where all these men were slain, and they, they had rotted, and all that was left of them was just bones, and he had me preach to them, and they came to life. They rose up from their death. And then God told me that that is intended to illustrate the fact that though we think we're dead and in our graves, He can make us live again. What a message of hope. And maybe that's the message we need to hear. There may be times in our life when we feel helpless, hopeless. Nobody can help me. You don't know what my problems are. There was a man at South Green, one of my best friends, he had, um, he had wandered from God at a point in his life when it had affected his children. And there came a point in his life when he decided to get things right and come back. And there isn't a man that works harder in the church than that man. But he lives with a guilt. He, he doesn't think that God can forgive him. He said, I knew that what I was doing was wrong and I did it anyway and And look at what a mess it made. I can't be forgiven. There's no hope for me. 
He said, I'm going to continue to come to church and I'm going to, I'm going to work and I'm going to continue to do things because I want to help other people to go to heaven. But for me, I think I've blown my opportunity. I think I've messed up. He really thought he was lost. He has a misunderstanding of grace. And I've tried to, tried to help him understand that. If it all boils down to our work, listen, he can work until... We can all work until the day we die and live a hundred lifetimes in doing. And we're never going to pay for our indebtedness to God. Nobody works their way to heaven. We're all undeserving of salvation. But the hope that if he could just understand the hope that God offers him to grab a hold of that and to have life snatched from death, that may be you. There may be decisions you've made in your life that you feel terrible about, embarrassed about. Things you don't even like to confess to yourself, let alone anybody else. And, and sometimes you wonder, is there any use? Will I ever get over this? Is this going to affect and taint my life for the rest of my life? Am I ever going to be of any service, any value to God ever again? I know you've heard the illustration, but your value doesn't depend on how perfect you've lived your life. If I had a $100 bill here and I said, who wants it? Probably everybody's hand would go up if I was really going to give it away. Um, If I crumpled it up and just threw it on the ground, if I said, who wants it? You'd still have your hand up, even though I got it all wrinkly. And if I went over and I put my foot on it and twisted it, you would still want that because the value is inherent in it. It doesn't have anything to do with its condition. Oh, I'd like to have it crisp and I'd like to see it that way, but it has value whether it's crisp or whether it's dirty. And we're no different in God's eyes. God loves you because you're you. He doesn't love and he'd rather have a clean, you know, you. But if you've made mistakes that have gotten you a mess and dirty and all wrinkly, God can fix that. He still loves you. And if you're here this evening and you need to respond to the invitation, uh, get your life right. God can do great things with you and with your life. Your life isn't over because of your past choices. Your future hasn't been written yet. Who knows what good you'll be able to do for God if you'll just, well, do your part and let him do his. If you're here this evening, you're not yet a child of God and need to obey the gospel, why don't you come confessing Jesus as the Christ, turn from your sins and be baptized and God will forgive you. And if you've already done that, but there's sin in your life and you need to make it right and and come clean and say, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm sorry. I want I want forgiveness. God will forgive you. And if you don't understand how or even why he would do that, hey, listen, join the club. I don't know any of us who comprehend the depth of God's love. Again, I don't have to understand it. I just believe it because God's word says it. If you need to respond, won't you come to the front as we stand together and sing?